Hello and welcome to Try Talking Sport, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast, or simply have an interest in sport, you've come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and a little bit of entertainment. I hope you are keeping well and have been in a position to embrace the opportunity to get out and about a bit more and to get some consistency with your training if you had let your focus slip a little in the past few weeks. There is still lots of uncertainty with regards to racing, but we can set our own goals to help keep us on the right track. And when racing returns, we will all be ready for that infamous start line. It's great to see Ireland opening up this week, giving us some sense of normality. Although it will take time to adjust to our new normality as we navigate through the next few weeks. I have to admit I've taken full advantage of the fact that there are no races in the diary at the moment, taking some much needed downtime and time away from the laptop for the past month to get some jobs done around the house, continue my own training streak and embrace a slower pace of life. In general, I would be chasing my tail at this stage of the season, going from race to race with suitcase in one hand, microphone in the other. And whilst I'm itching to get back announcing, I have to say I have enjoyed the time to just be at home, chill out, train and catch up with friends over the past few weeks. With the start of a new month though, can you believe it's July already? I'm rearing to go again, the to-do list is updated and the laptop is plugged in ready for action. Speaking of action, if you've been keeping an eye on the Try Talking Sport Facebook page, you will see that our live sessions are back, taking place on a Tuesday or Thursday night from 8.30pm. Be sure to check them out live or as a catch-up. Perfect viewing for a turbo session. Now to today's episode of the podcast with Irish professional triathlete Ger Redmond from Dublin. Ger has had a colourful journey to where he is today. The promising young professional footballer had his dreams of a life in sport drastically cut short at the age of 16 due to family circumstances. Returning home to Dublin to support his brothers and sisters, his life was filled with highs, lows and a host of twists and turns, including a two-year term in Mountjoy Prison. Deciding to turn his life around shortly after his release from prison, the passion he had as a child for sport was reignited when he supported a friend taking part in an Ironman. That, coupled with the tragic death of another friend, was pivotal to his decision to change the course of not only his life, but that of his five children. In less than two years of making the decision to leave a life of crime behind, Ger had achieved his lofty goal of becoming a professional triathlete with a sub-930 Ironman finish and has raced multiple Ironman events including Maastricht, Lanzarote, Wales, Cork and Barcelona. Ger's story is one that will have you on the edge of your seat as he brings us through his life and how he will stop at nothing to achieve his goals, sporting or otherwise. He does not, by his own admission, do excuses believing that no matter where you come from or your circumstances, through hard work and consistency, you can achieve anything you set your mind to. Enjoy. Thanks a million, Ger, for joining me on the show today. It is uh, the start of another week as uh, I chat to you here. You're in Dublin. I'm in Galway. Uh, delighted you've come on the show today. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me, Joanne. Ger, for anybody who doesn't know you, they will have had a little sample of, of who you are from Ultimate Hell Week that was on the television there before lockdown started. But I want to go right back and find out who is Ger Redmond. hope you have loads of time. <laughs> oh, it's plenty time. So I grew up in a place called Gardell. It's in Kilock in Dublin. It's uh, a deprived area. And I grew up there. And like any kid, I had a dream of becoming a soccer player. And I played football every day, living in Darndale. At the age of 
I suppose, 12 or 13, I got picked for the Dublin team. I was playing for the Dublin team. And then I was playing for them. A scout from Dunfermline came to watch me from Scotland. And the day he came to watch, I scored 10 goals in one game. Sorry, was so that 10 goals? I, 10 goals yeah, in one game? That's how much I wanted to dream. I, I knew he was coming and I, I literally said to myself, that's it, Like this is my chance. And I wasn't going to pass the ball to anyone else. It was, it was my chance. <laughs> I was sure I going to take it, you know. They knocked down to the parents' house after the match and invited me over for a, a trial. About three weeks later, I went over, but within the three weeks, I remember sitting in friends' house playing FIFA football with them firm, and like, oh, just a dream come true, you know. It was unheard of even coming from my area, and for this to be actually coming true was like, you know. Jerry, when you when you say deprived area and you talk about Darndale, like the, for the listeners who may not be aware of, of what that actually is, um, just explain a little bit about about growing up in the area. What what was it like? So, like those days, I wouldn't have a dinner. Those days, I woke up, sent to school, and wouldn't have a lunch. You know, there wasn't. I was just never on holiday in my life. Never on a family holiday ever. Um, Rob cars all all the time around the area. Joe's fights. I witnessed the murder at the age of ten. So it was constant, like. But you know. You, you become a product of your own environment. You don't even realise what you're growing up in until you actually become an adult and go, Jesus, what was all that about? But it was just constant, you know, criminal stuff. You know, I'd never seen any inspiration. I never looked up to anyone. I never seen anyone coming into the area saying, we're this, we're that. We came from similar areas. It was nothing like that. No inspiration, I suppose. First time I heard of inspiration, I actually laughed behind the guy's back when he went. He said, oh, you'll inspire people. And this was at 32 or 33. I actually laughed behind his back. So it was never in my vocabulary. Never spoke to me. No one ever spoke about goals, dreams, and inspiration. So that's the area I came from. So then, I mean, it obviously was very difficult growing up in the area in, in terms of you probably didn't, you were in your own cocoon, so you didn't see an outside world beyond what was in Darndale, really, or, or in that kind of circle of people that you were hanging out with. Exactly, because everyone was the same. Like, so you didn't know what was right or wrong. You just knew what you were living in. So as far as you're concerned, this was normal. This was your, this is what life was. Because you, you didn't see outside them walls, you know that way. So then you headed over to Scotland, started playing football. Yeah, so I came off a flight, went to Scotland. And I actually was invited to a match that day and I went down. I was playing Falkirk during the 16. I was 15 at the time. And you're losing 3-1. And about 20 minutes ago, they put me put me on and uh, I scored two goals to, to draw. And then I laid up the winner. So we won 4-3. <laughs> so it was a dream start. And the rest is history. I was offered a full YTS the next day. Met up with the first team coach. Brought around East End Park. Um, and yeah, I signed the YTS. And so what's, what's a YTS? It's a youth training scholarship type thing. So it's like an apprenticeship pro footballer, so to speak. Went home, got me affairs in order, moved back over full time. I lived in Inverness over a, a pub in an annex, and I was loving life. Like I was, a, I was mixing with the professionals, like you know, making them toast, washing their boots, and I loved it. I didn't turn my nose up to that stuff, like. <laughs> um, what was yeah, it like so, going from from Darndale, where you've spoken about that bubble that you were in, that was full of criminality and 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 mm. deprivation, and maybe no food on the table at home or going to school, and basic survival mode, to suddenly being put into this area where you're actually chilling and hanging out and working with and training with these football stars? You're in a whole new environment, a whole new concept. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, so it was hard to 
couple of terms at the start because it was all new to me and I was like, you know, I was a bit taken back at the start, but obviously it was a positive positive direction. So, you know, I was like, Wow, this is like real. This is this is very like, you know, it's just a bit surreal at the at the start because I've been through so much crap in my life and I didn't realise I was in that much stuff. Do you know, I didn't realise it was that negative or that bad until I actually did go over to Scotland and see that this was actually living, you know. These people are actually nice to you, these people are actually doing things without looking for something to be done back and yeah, it was just a, re- a really good feeling, and uh, yeah, I adapted to it fairly quick, like you know, because it was obviously a very a more positive uh, environment to be in. You know, take us through then the next couple of years because things went from fantastic to maybe not so fantastic at the age of sixteen. Yeah, yeah so I was applying uh, my trade in Scotland with the firm, and during that time, I got called from home to say my father had committed a crime back home in Kilock, and for about a week. I was ringing back and forward and things weren't looking good. The house was under threat. So I asked the coach could I go home just to see what things were like. And I remember getting off the flight. And in hindsight, when I got off that flight, I fell into a deep hole. I didn't realise at the time. But I went from being on top of the world to falling into a deep, deep hole. And at the time, I didn't realise, but that's where I was going. I went home, pulled up outside, and one of my windows of the house was boarded up. My mother was drinking with people in the house. I had five other brothers and sisters, far them younger than me, all being neglected. And my father was in prison. So I went from worrying about putting the ball in the back of the net to putting food on the table. My father was sent to prison for manslaughter. And the family that he committed the crime on wanted revenge on us. We had done nothing wrong. But that's the way people dealt with things in that area. My mother was an alcoholic. She caused a lot of trouble in the home and then she moved out a month later with another man to Liverpool and left myself. My sister looked after four kids under the age of 10. So, as you can imagine, that's a big drop in the ocean for me from coming from possibly a professional footballer to looking after four brothers and sisters plus I'm under threat for my family. I hadn't got many options to be honest with you. There wasn't many people there for us. There's people there but on the bench there is what we call it. You know, you could go around to them, but no one was really taking over. No one came in and said, we look after you in that sense. So I had two options, and my options were to join a criminal gang, one, for protection, and two, to put food on the table and to look after my brothers and sisters. So that's the options I took. Quite quickly, I went downhill from there. I had a lot of aggression and a lot of resentment towards adults because all adults let me down. And my dream of being a footballer was taken from me. I did try to go back to football and that hurt me even more because when I went back, the people I used to roast playing football, you know, I used to, I, I, as far as I was concerned, I was the best in the, in the area. Simple as that. So no one as good as me. I was that competitive and I loved all that and I loved people saying you're the best. And, and uh, that was taken from me and then I used to try to play football and it was like mediocre because of all the stress and all the things I had to worry about. That killed me even more. I contemplated suicide at the age of 18. Very, very close to suicide. The only thing that stopped me was the actual, my me, me brothers and sisters had been through enough, so I didn't want to put them through anymore. And I took drugs to overcome, I suppose, all that negative and all that weight I had on my shoulders. And the only way I could deal with it was by taking drugs and drinking and doing the wrong things in life rather than going down the right road and trying to get some counsel, which is what I've done later on in life. Ultimately, that led to a prison sentence in 2013 for drug offences. I served two years in prison. I remember sitting in prison in 2016 in my cell and saying to myself, where's his life gone? Like, 
there's a big flash in front of me. I said, look, I was, I was nearly football, a professional footballer. Now I'm in prison, in a cell. And I remember thinking, my grand, my grandfather was locked up. He was in prison. My father was in prison. And here I was in prison. And on my release in 2016, my friend, a friend of mine, I went to Holland with a friend of mine. We were chatting. My son was due in November 2016. He had a son of four. We were chatting. He was telling me lovely little stories about him and his son, little things he do, go camping, all that. And we were just having to crack a few points. And I remember two weeks, three weeks later, he died from a drug overdose, my friend did. And I remember sitting in the funeral home and his son come up to the coffin. And I was like, that's it. Like, how the fuck can I continue on this life and possibly put my son through what, you know, no disrespect to my friend, he obviously didn't do it on purpose, but what he has put his son through, and I'm seeing this now, who am I to now continue on the road on, on the wrong road and possibly put my family through that? The effects it's going to have on that, that kid when he rolls up his father died. So that was it. That day, I swore I was done. I would never do anything bad and never be part of a criminal criminal gang. I would never have any part in any negative, any negativity on anyone else. And that was it. I started to... I just swore that was it, and that was it. And um, about three weeks later, I started surrounding myself with like-minded people. Went to a friend of mine who was doing triathlons, started doing a little bit of training room just to try and get some fitness in. I went to watch him do Ironman Barcelona in 2016, just to support him, just to be around like-minded people. And I remember saying to myself at the end, maybe I could do it. And I was inspired that much. Like I was like, maybe I could do that. Like I seen older people doing it, and that I think that's what sort of hit for me. Like there was fifty year olds doing, sixty year olds, and I was like, wow. Like you know, surely I could do it. <laughs> um. Anyway, in two thousand seventeen, I decided to sign up for Matrix in Holland. Couldn't swim. Never done one length of a pool. Never been on a TT bike. Never been on a road bike. Like you know, you might, mountain bikes is all I was ever on. But it wasn't about the Ironman finishing the Ironman. For me, at that time, it was just about getting my life back together, trying to find some inspiration, trying to prove to people I've changed. You know, I'm a new person. And I knew if I trained hard for six months, it was only six months to my master's course. And I said, if I knew if I trained hard and I, and I kept myself in the right road, that I'd be in a better place come the race day. And if I, if I can finish it, I'll do it. And if I can't, sure, I'll be healthy and fit and I'll be in a better place. Anyway. As the competitive edge kicked in, I went down to my first swim. <laughs> I had no goggles with me. <laughs> a big pair of Bermuda shorts. <laughs> I couldn't even finish one length. <laughs> but uh, I just showed consistency and I found a new passion. And, you know, far along, like, I was down there every day. Within two months, I was doing 2K. Within three months, I had 3K done. Then I was on the bike. I had no sh- proper shorts. Or, you know, I went through the mill with, with all the wealth and everything else. But uh, I really wanted to prove myself. I landed in Maastricht in August the 8th, 2017. And I remember standing on the banks in Maastricht saying, I have my life back. You know, just, the Ironman just saved me. It really did. The atmosphere, the camaraderie, everyone was so positive. I just felt so, just such a great buzz, you know. And I really, really, that was it. I felt I had my life back. I remember you had to go in in forest because it was on a canal, so it was a small enough walk into the, to the lake, I think it was, a river. I remember diving in. I remember taking my first stroke and looking back and there was a big bridge behind me and I seen the old self there and I just swam away from the old self and it was, it was a surreal moment. I was on the run in the Matrix and I remember at the finish line, when I came across that finish line, Joanna, just, it changed my whole life. Like I just got, it, it's weird to explain, but when I finished that Ironman for 
three or four days after that, like I just got this order come into me and says, "Like you can do, so you can do something really good here." Like I didn't suffer in the Ironman. See, I've been through so much suffering growing up as a kid and what I've been through and what I've had to see and endure. My mind had this strength to overcome. Like you're, you're telling me suffering in a race. That's all I have to do. I don't have to do other stuff. Like, like I went through a lot of stuff as a kid. I never received love as, as you should. I never received any of that attention, Christmas traits, you know, good stuff brought to Santi, all that. I, I never, I don't remember any of that. So, you know, I suffered enough as a kid. And when I came to this Ironman event, someone said, you suffer. I said, suffer? <laughs> I'm going looking for the suffering. <laughs> That's not suffering. You know what I mean? It wasn't suffering for me. So I got this really, I got a big confidence from this, big belief. And so to test my mind, I said, I'm going to sign up for Lanzarote. And so I said, what's the toughest in the world? And someone said, Lanzarote. So I said, right, that's it. Sign up. I'm going to test the mind. Again, I lined up in Lanzarote. Again, I didn't suffer because I went looking for it. I was like, push me. Come on. So I pushed and pushed. I think I done a 308 marathon in, in Lanzarote, which is pretty good. Second ever Ironman. I was only in this for 12 months. And again, I was like, you know what? That's not suffering. I'm, I think this is my sport, you know. So I got this idea. That little kid came back to me and said, you were a pro when you were a kid. Maybe you could go pro again. So I looked it up and the time to be, be an Irish pro was sub 9.30. So I said, you know, the best I've ever done was, I think I've done 10.50 in Lanzarote. So to do sub 9.30. So I signed up for Barcelona and I trained my nuts off of Barcelona. Like, I mean... I was getting about three in the morning, four in the morning. I was doing 110k, 120k. I couldn't even feel my knees at times. I couldn't feel my legs coming off the bike. It was that cold. But I've done that because I wanted to test my mind to see how much I wanted it. So I used to get up, set times, and say, if you don't get up, you don't want it. So I was proving to myself every time, constantly testing the mind to know that I really, really wanted this pro life. And not only that, but I wanted to prove to people out there that's led down the road by a bad generation, i.e. their mother and father, had been brought into a bad environment. And I wanted to show them there's a, there's a way out that no matter what, if you work hard enough for anything in this life, you can achieve it. Doesn't matter where you're from. You can achieve the absolute impossible if you want it. So, you know, people in air areas, they don't even hear of golden dreams. So I wanted to be a beacon of life for them and show them. Here's me from Kulak. Grew up in the wrong area. Was on the wrong road in life. Was the bad influence in the area. Now I'm pulling the back to show you the right way down, down the right road. And it can be done. So me, me doing this was, I had a big why. It wasn't just about me. It was more than me. It was for other people as well as myself and my family. So I remember standing in Barcelona in the, on the beach. And I remember just feeling, oh, I'm going to do this. Like, I, there was nothing stopped me. The mind was so strong. I finished the swim. I think I'd done a 110 swim. And I had a video, and I burst through everyone. I, I was, I was on, a, on a mission. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> it was going down. <laughs> I wasn't giving in to anyone. But I remember um, I was on the bike, and I, I hit the 100K, and I was within my time. So I, I knew what I had to hit at a certain stage. And I remember, like, having to hold myself back saying, Shut up, you've done nothing yet. Because, you know, if you get mechanical on the bike, it puts you into 20 minutes or whatever. So I had to continue to hold myself back. I got into the run. I think I had to do, I think I had to do a 305 or 306 marathon when I got off the bike to get the sub 940. I know it's on because running is my, my best discipline. And I know this is happening. <laughs> so uh, again, I'm running around and I'm nearly celebrating, but like that, I don't take that for granted. So I'm holding myself back. The last 5k. I had to do it in 30 minutes and I knew that's it. And I welled up and I nearly stopped because we, we, we throat actually closed up because I was that, as far as that emotional, I welled up. And I had to tell myself, 
snap out, you have 20k to go. Just tell the mind so the, the body come back to normal. And I remember coming to the finish line and I had five of my kids and my wife standing on the finish line, the red carpet. The best, like, I, I can't explain even how I felt. Like, I came from prison and I had my, my wife and kids. And when you come from that environment to running down a red carpet, an Ironman event, being handed the Irish flag by a family and you're becoming a professional athlete. Like, for me, that was just the ultimate. Like, uh, it's hard to explain. You're now their inspiration. You're now, like, an Irish professional athlete. Like, you know, I just, it was the best and the proudest moment of my life. And I ran through the finish line crying. And I torn because, you know, when I told people I was going to become pro, they laughed at me because I was only in this sport 22 months. And here I am after like, I suppose, 16 months telling people, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a professional athlete. <laughs> you know, you literally change the subject laughing. So when I went through the finish line, I turned the point at the clock and it was 9.25. Just to show people days ago, never doubt someone like me. Because people don't know what I've been through. People don't know people's backgrounds out there, you know. And for me... I suppose that just gave me so much confidence, you know, that just put me on the map in terms of giving me the platform to then go into schools, then to go into prisons, youth centres, showing them that, you know, hope, resilience, you know, we can all do this. It's just hard work. You just got to put the work in. For that, for me, that was the most important thing. Like, like me becoming pro wasn't for me to have an ego buzz and walk around throwing shapes going, I'm a professional athlete. That's what, not what it was about. I mean... I'm right, like, I shouldn't be probably a pro because my times doesn't add up in the swimming in any way, you know. But I'm willing to work on that. But it wasn't about that. It was more about being a, a beacon of life for other people to show them you can do this. Look where I've come from. Look what I've been through. If I can do this, you can do this. So it was more than being a pro. It was more to show people hope, resilience, and to be a beacon of life for them that they can follow my footsteps. I'm only human. Well... I mean, that's incredible. You've probably done like a 15 minute monologue there of your career and your life. I, I'm sure that we could delve in so much more on oh, little yeah. bits and pieces. And I'm going to pick up on some of the bits that you've mentioned there. But before I, I do, I, I want to ask you, you know, how important was it that you backed yourself to get to that finish line to be able to do the nine and a half hours? Like how important was your own self-belief that you could do this? But also on the other side, how much pressure did you put on yourself to do it? The most important thing for me was to win over the mind. So for me to, to achieve this, I had to win my mind. I had to be in full charge of my mind where my mind was not going to tell me not to train. My mind was not going to tell me I wasn't going to do this. So what I was doing was setting. So every month I would set a stupid time in the morning, pick a date, random date, just say the 16th of March. And I'd say at two in the morning, I'm getting up. Whether it's snowing, raining, sleet or snow, I don't give a shit. I'm getting up to do 100k on that bike. And if I don't get up, then that's showing a weakness. Then then, then I will, then I may not do this 9.30. So for me, that's that's the test I've done. And every time that alarm went off at 2 o'clock, I was straight up. So that was my test. And once I overcome that every month, and once I... Do you know, you know like some people, if it's raining, they'll think, oh, I'm not training today. Or, you know, look, for me, I couldn't do that. I had to overcome all them obstacles. So if my mind said I wasn't doing it, I was turning around going, you're fucking doing it. It's on. And I had to do that to overcome this time because as I said, I was only in it 22 months. So for me, I had to, once I had a hold of the mind, 
I knew it was possible. Where did that hunger for setting goals come from? Because you mentioned earlier um, at the start that, you know, you had no goals, you had no inspiration because of where you came from and what you were doing. So where did that hunger come from for goal setting? And or where did even the skill for goal setting come from? Had your time in prison, had you, did I hear somewhere or read somewhere that you'd completed your your junior cert when you were in prison or was it your leaving cert? You know, was this all part of the process of when you were in prison, some of the stuff that you learned, you were able to now put to good use because you wouldn't have had that in your life beforehand. Yeah, so I'll tell you what changed me. My son, Ross, was born on the 27th of November. And when he was born, I swore. As I said to you earlier, my granddad was locked up, my father was locked up, and I was locked up. So it was a generation thing. I swore when he came out, I swore I was going to do a 180-degree turn on my whole generation that I'm going to set the new traits. I'm going to take the wheel now of this generation and I'm going to turn 180 degrees and go down the right road. I'm going to set new things for this family. So my belief is that to inspire your kids, for your kids to change, you must first inspire yourself. You have to step up as a parent and go, this is how you do it. I'm going to show them and I'm going to show them at a different level. So that was me pushing myself and I knew I was a pro as a kid because I always had that drive. I always had the drive to be the best and try and be the best and always put the work in. I always trained. I always played soccer every day, three times a day. So I always had that little drive, and I remember that. And it came back to me. But for this was a generation change. So my, my dream is that someday my generation will look back and see the tree. And they'll see the old generation in the wrong row. And then they'll see me taking the direction. And I'll be standing there on the tree. And they'll know that was me that changed the generation of my family name, the Redmond name. And they'll be very proud of me. And someone down the line will become maybe a professional or an Olympic champion and I'll be the reason that that happened and that's the dream for me um, to change the generation I saw yeah I saw yesterday you went swimming with your children on Father's Day you said it was the most yeah. precious gift to be able to go swimming with your kids are they all sporty now as well and, and maybe tell us a little bit about them yeah so like they're fairly competitive like me now as well like, so, well they hardly and, lifted and then, off the ground <laughs> but as I said like this is the thing because before I changed my life, they wouldn't have been. And then they become a product of their new environment. And now all of a sudden, the different goals that they're setting is nearly what I'm setting, you know. So my, my attributes are coming out in them now because I've changed my, my way of thinking. So when you change yourself, the kids around you will change because no matter what, a kid will think you're their hero, whether you're doing negative or you're doing positive, you will be their hero. So... As parents, it's their responsibility to step up and show them the right way. You know, we have to look, we have to look within ourselves first. You can't just go, ah, yeah, I want my kid to be this, I want my kid to be that. And you're smoking and drinking and, you're, you know, kids are not stupid. The monkey see, monkey do. And it's a fact. So, yeah, they're very competitive. Look, I've, I've, I've kids, like I've pull-up bars out the back and the kids would be doing, maybe we'll get today, Dad, and like they're up to eight pull-ups. <laughs> the adults can't do that, you know. So it's really good to see them do that, yeah. And they're, they're mad to go out, back out because the yellow boy is about 100 metres offshore. So I got them out on Father's Day. That's more important to me like, because, as I said, my, I don't look up to my father. I never did. And for my kids to, for me to go out on Father's Day, because a lot of people go out with sessions and drink and all, but that's, it's more important for me to spend time with my kids and, and do something like that, a memory thing. That's more important for me. That's new traits, you know. So. What ages are your children now? So I have a three-year-old. Better not get them wrong. Uh, <laughs> Eight, uh, eleven, and fifteen. <laughs> oh wow, a full, a full and busy household. Yeah, so a four girls and one boy. So I kept going for the boys, man. <laughs> 
And ultimately, like the boy was actually surprised, to be honest with you, in the end. And ultimately, it was probably the boy that that changed his direction. Um, no disrespect to the girls, but I think when the boy came, because I didn't got a bond with my father, I felt that this was the time to change. And you know, I was going to be a man in this in this boy's life, and I was going to step up and show him how to do things, and I wasn't going to be showing him the negative stuff, you know. I mean, the thing is out there with people that I don't understand, and I'm actually working with Entrepreneur Oil, and I actually got picked for uh, the called the Ideas Academy. So I, I applied for that, and out, I think 350 people, I was the last 15, so I'm part of a last 15 group that works on the East, and basically it's to, set, to change a social problem that I see, which is a bad generation, and a lot of people that following the bad generations, and I'm just continuing on. So I'm going to come up with a project and go into schools and communities and try and change their mind frame and their mindset. Because I believe if you're being treated bad in your life as a kid, then why carry that on as an adult to your own kids? And a lot of people are doing that. You know, you've got to change yourself within, change them bad traits and not carry them on. They're not good traits. So I plan on going and doing workshops in communities to identify the problems and, and also like identify that, you know, how to get out. Because I've done it. I've got counselling. I've worked on myself and got self-care. And I've changed my mindset in order to change the traits because when you're shown the wrong traits in life, it's hard to get out of that because that's all you know. Do you know what I mean? You know, when you came out of prison, Ger, how did you break the circle for yourself? Because I can't imagine coming out of prison and going to the criminal gang saying, hey, lads, I'm out. That I mean, and I wouldn't have a clue of, of what it's like. I mean, and I never will, please God. Um, you know, but for so many people, we really don't know what it's what it's like. So... I mean, how do you break that cycle? How do you turn around to them and say, oh, here, lads, I'm out of here? Because I'm sure it's not as easy as that to break free. And, and I'm sure like your own friends and your own family probably wondered about where, where's where's Jer gone? What in the name of God is going on with this lad? Yeah, so it's not easy. Um, but like that, growing up in that environment, you've become very much, you get a lot of street sense from it. So I was clever in the street sense. And you have to be clever when you're always getting out of a gang like that, you know? So the way I done it was, as I said, my son Ross was due in November 2016. So before I went to watch my friend doing the Ironman, I was just like, look, I'm just going to take a little back step and I'm going to be there for my wife and my kids. My son's due. So I didn't tell them I was getting out initially, right? I just said I was taking a back step and I still sort of mingled with them, you know, to let them know. Because if you just go and out, they're going to think, what's the you up to? You know, they probably think you're ratting or, you know, you're getting, you're getting soft or, you know, you just don't know. So you have to be clever in when you get out. And the thing was, and I know it's not nice to say, but when I took it back step, someone else came in and filled my void. So I didn't become an asset anymore. So it wasn't too bad then when I didn't come back in because someone was already there in my place. So you just have to be clever in it. You know, you have to be careful and very clever. So I just played chess with it, to be honest with you. And then I done the Ironman, and then I was like, I look on doing an Ironman. And then before you know, I get slipped off. Do you know what I mean? People sort of respect that fact. That's what happened. Fairly, no hassle, to be honest with you. I could have been if I hadn't done it clever, you know? And do you think going to prison was pivotal, Ger, for you to break that cycle of being involved in, in, I suppose, the underworld, for want of a better word? Definitely, definitely, John. Because, to be honest with you, the prison opened, up, opened my eyes up to things that I'd never seen before. I mean, I didn't realise that people are in prison for certain things like there's people in there doing life for murder now look at it's it's warranted that what they done was 100% wrong I, I wouldn't agree with anything that people do wrong but there's things that people don't realise like there's people in there that we I didn't know that like drove a car at the scene of a murder right now they're involved right but they didn't pull the trigger I didn't realise you could get a, actually life for that 
you know, certain things I didn't even realise, like, geez, like, he's in here for just driving the car. So it opened my eyes up to a lot of stuff. And then also, like, when you're in there, there was people that were doing life and, you know, they would just look lost. Like, I was like, Jesus, like, I mean, look, at they deserve to be there. They they commit the crime. But it's just, you know, you just, the life that I go on, do you know what I mean? And it's sad to see, in a sense. And that, to me, was just like, Jesus, like, is that what you want? Is this what you want, this environment? Like, you're, you're, you're like a sheep. You're like an animal. You're just, you're just carted around, like. You don't get a say. Like, you come out of your, your cell and, and you stay there until the prison officer opens the gate. And it doesn't matter what you say. You go to another gate. You could be standing there for 20 minutes and you'd be just looking to go to the gym. You're just standing there, like, and if you don't get a, a, an officer to do it, sure, you'd just be left there. <laughs> you know? Like, and, you, and then if the, the gym time's up, you've just sent back your cell, like, and no one gives a bollocks, like. No one cares. Like, you're just a number, like. And look, fair enough, like, the people will say they deserve it, they do. Like, I mean, I, I'm not saying I didn't deserve anything I'd done. Any punishment I, I got for whatever I'd done, I deserved it. And I'll take it on the chin all day. But a lot of people out there that are in prison, and like yourself, have been led down the wrong road by irresponsible parents. You become a product of your own environment, and it's too easy for people to point the finger at the likes of myself or someone else who's on the bad road. They don't know what the background is of that. I mean, does anyone know what it's not like to be loved? To grow up in an area where no one gives a fuck, so you just let do what you want. Like, people don't realise that side of it. When you're not loved as a kid, it causes resentment and it causes the negativity within. And you can't love them, because if you're not shown how to love, you cannot love. And that is a fact, like, I'm going to counselling now every week. Walking on myself, like, I'm in a really good place now, mentally and physically. But without that, without me walking on myself, I wouldn't be there. I want to walk myself, and I'll tell you why, because I never want to have any of my mother and father's bad traits. So I'm willing to go with that extra step to get right away from that in order to set new traits for my new family. And we're going to have good traits going down the line. And that's what I'm doing. That's why I'm walking myself to be a better person for myself, but more importantly for my family. So they carry on them good traits. Because I'm still giving bad traits because that's all I know. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and Jerry, I suppose the other thing as well is I'm sure there's a huge stigma associated with having been in prison um, and probably from coming from an area that is deprived or is, I suppose, notorious for, for having criminal activities and things. So how do you get around that? Now, I know myself that I wouldn't have known you. We've only met on a finish line, I think, at Ironman 7.3 Dunleary last year. Um, Mm. But I know myself that I probably had an an unconscious bias against you because you had been in prison. And, you know, it's so far removed from my world. But I watched you on Ultimate Hell Week, you know, that was on RTE. And I really saw a different side to you where I was like, oh, my God, he's human at the end of the day. And... There was it was just completely different uh, opinion I had of you, and I didn't realize mm. myself my own unconscious bias. But there must be an awful lot of that and an awful lot of stigma associated with having been in prison. But I'm going I'm going to ask you to just maybe talk about that a little bit. But then I want to talk to you about Ultimate Hell Week because that was just epic, you know, watching watching yeah. that as well. <laughs> so my question really is: Is there an awful lot of stigma? Do you find that there's like a negativity towards you in in certain aspects, or is the fact that you're doing so well in what you're trying to do now to change your own family's situation and, and to be an inspiration the beacon of hope and light and resilience as you say that it's it's a little bit easier now yeah like I have never really had anyone give me negative feedback I suppose I only came out that I was in prison I think in 2018 when I became professional before that not many people knew I think because I wasn't going around obviously telling people you no know, it's not something to be proud of like and I'm not proud of it I suppose with getting jobs is the, the, the big one you know, I went from, you know, you wouldn't be able to get a job in a pharmaceutical or anything like that once you have a criminal record. You will not get a top job, so you will be in the likes of sites and that, you know, getting little jobs here and there. So, yeah, you definitely would, from from a working standard, a working point of view, you would. 
Um, to be honest with you, I don't really mingle too much with, like, I, I, I sort of train on my own, just look out my family. So I haven't really had that sort of, you know, going into a group of people and feeling that, that negative vibe around. And to be honest with you, like, I sort of accept it. If that's what people think, I just accept their point of view on it because, you know, everyone's different and you have to, you have to respect everyone's point of view. And, like, if they, they think they feel under threat or under pressure being around you, that's fine, you know. Until they get to know me, like, you know, they'll never know who I am. Um, but I definitely think, like, people have changed their, their opinion on me since, definitely since Hell Week. Anyone that knows me knows I, I go into schools for free, youth centres for free, and prisons. I don't look for hand. This is me giving back to the community. So I think people do see true, true change, and I think with true change, people will become more trustworthy as well. So, you know, and look, at, I, I created it. I, I hands up like it was my fault, you know what I mean? I mean, I know I was brought down the bad road in life, but I commit the crime. I was a bad person. Hands up. Um, I've seen the light. I've changed my ways. And, you know, I'm sure people will see that. <laughs> I, I can see. And I know this is, we're doing, a, so for the listeners, we're doing this call over over Skype. And I, I can see Jer, and I can, and the, although this is an audio podcast, I can see the passion in his eyes and, and the yeah. hunger to just be the change. Uh, they talk about be the change you want to see in the world. And, and clearly this is something that you are very, very passionate about. So you, you guys can't see what I see in Jer at the moment when he's <laughs> talking about it. And you can just see his eyes bouncing with excitement and a smile on his face which is which is great to see I want to talk to you a little bit about Ultimate Hell Week because for me that was just incredible I mean and we knew a couple of the lads that were on it like Jason Black and yourself and a few of the others but talk us through what that was really like because it looked absolutely brutal and for the listeners who were tuning in it was a programme that was done on RTE and basically the guys were taken away to like this remote area or a camp and basically put through hell uh, at all hours of the day and night uh, barely fed is what it looked like from the editing but it was absolutely like um what's the word it wasn't binge watching it was uh, addictive I, I couldn't stop watching it <laughs> yeah it was unreal like I, I loved that show you know I went into that show uh, I went into that show purely to find something as I told you at the start of this when I done Matrix a day after that something happened and it was it was like I was in my mind so long in Matrix it was 11 hours I think I was in my mind so long on a positive mode for 11 hours, because you have to continue to be positive in an Ironman to continue on through the event, you know, you can't really get negative, you're constantly trying to push yourself. So I think that's why I got something so big from that. And I thought to myself, I purely went into Hell Week to try and get something that I could bring into my life permanently to make myself a better person in order to be a better father and be a better husband. Because my inner confidence wasn't there. Although I became professional, although it looked like I was very confident on the external, on the outside. Internally, I wasn't, like, you know, my counsellor says I'm like a leaking bucket. You know, I do a race and I'm full of confidence. Everybody says, oh, well done. And then, but in a week, then it leaks and it's gone and the confidence gone. So I wasn't holding confidence well. So I sort of went in for that as well to see could I sort of fix that because I was trying to struggle to try and fix that sort of part of me. So I went in for something different. I suppose everyone probably did, had their own reason for going in. But that was my reason. But it was gruesome like fucking gruesome <laughs> it was class like it was just like edgy all the time like it was 24 hours on edge it was like putting money into a computer game and you just didn't know what was coming up and then next of all you used to jump off a bridge and then and then you, used to, you got gas like, we got gas we tear gas it was just unreal like and i suppose the thing was i couldn't train for different events because i didn't know what was coming up whereas before i have a hold of an event i know i'm doing 70.3 grand i'll check train for that or whatever event it is but with this, I didn't know what was happening. So that was a bit 
hard for me to come up, come to terms with. So you're literally sitting there and they pull you out and you're like, what are we fucking doing? They put you on a bus, black the bus out, right? They drive around for three or four hours. The task is only like 20 minutes away. You know, it's just to wreck your head. Like, you know, where are we fucking going? <laughs> so it's just, oh, crazy. Like, but uh, I loved it. Like, I really loved it. And I got so much from it. And I remember I was in with the psychologist. And at that time, it was after the 21K. We done a 21K hike with 60 pounds on the back. And we were all broke up. And she brought me in and I sort of, I broke down. You know, I, was, I just felt, you know, I, I suppose I felt vulnerable, I felt tired and, you know, I missed my family and we had a little chat and the inner confidence thing came out and I was, I was just like, I was, it just took me back. But it's the first time I ever talked about it openly that my inner confidence wasn't there in front of probably, I don't know how many, <laughs> probably a million people or something. I didn't realise at the time, but you don't even realise the cameras are there. <laughs> you that embroiled in this hell week. You, you forget that cameras are even there. Like, you really do, I swear to God. And it's 24 hours, there's no, there's no letting up, like. Them DSs are on you 24 hours, all day, every minute. You see a snooze, they come in, get the fuck up. Like, you sellotape me to a gun, like. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> but to be honest with you, I was laughing inside, going, that's class. Like, that's, I love all that shit, you know, man. So although I might have looked like I was like, I, I was all right with that, like, oh, that was cool. I thought that was cool, what he done there. Like, I was really, really did, like, so. Yeah, that was a good moment. And I suppose, in, in a sense, that showed me where I came in life as well, because before someone had done that to me, I'd, 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 you know, I'd have thrown a dig, like, at, at minimum, I'd have thrown a dig, I'd have just said something, like, <laughs> so, it showed me a bit of growth, you know, in me, because I didn't feel anything towards that DS when he done that. I, I just thought to myself, that's class. <laughs> I really did. did. There was, there's a lot of discipline in it. I mean, it's massive, uh, the amount of discipline. It looked like that they were serving on you guys. I mean, everything from like coming in and emptying the dorm and throwing your stuff all over the place and then wanting you cleaning it. Or, you know, there was just there was just mad stuff going on. Um, but it definitely showed a side of like the requirement for, for discipline and for self-discipline. Would I be right in kind of assuming that? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, the discipline, the self-discipline is the least your worries in there. Like, if you're a, if you're a ranger, like... That's the last of your worries. That should be knocked on the head straight away, you know, because there's bigger tasks ahead. So the likes of that is is very crucial, but it needs to be done. Like, don't be fucking annoying me about not washing your kit. We've bigger fish to fry up the road. Do you know what I mean? That's the first thing you need to nail down is your discipline, getting your kit squared away, having everything ready, going out, doing the tasks where you dry gear ready, no messing, have your water filled up. They're little things that you, you should have done regardless. Like, that, you know, that's, that needs to be done. It did look like at times they were just literally poking you at the time, you know, just poking you all the time, just trying to set you over the edge. Constantly testing you all the time. But that's what it's about, you know. I I like that. I wanted to see where I was at, like. I wanted to, to be tested. And, and to be honest with you, that, none of that bothered me. Like, the task, the only thing that was going to get me was a task. Like, nothing else really was getting me, you know. Like, they were, anything they said to me was just take the repentance off. It's normal, you know. They're doing it to everyone. Take on the chin and get on with it. So I was fine with that. And said so I've been in prison, so I'd heard officers. In fairness, the officers were all right to me. But, you know, I had odd occasions of trouble in prison. For me, the DSs were all right <laughs> compared to what I felt before. And was there good camaraderie between between everybody or, or what was it like in there? Was everybody helping each other out or, you know, what was it like in there? Like, I've never been around so many people, so many inspirational people. I remember one moment... We ran around some some barracks or something down till there, and uh, we had to run around with gas masks on. I remember, I think there was eight of us sitting in the back of a an army truck, sitting there going, "We're bleeding mad!" Like, 
every one of us were nuts, you know, and every one of us had a little story where the wife or our girlfriends or our friends were saying, what the fuck's wrong with you? Why would you want to do stuff? You know, we all had that story and it was just great to be around so many like-minded people. We were a little team. We were a, a crew of people that live in Ireland and we all came together and we all loved it. We were all mad. <laughs> we all accepted that we were mad. So that was a great moment for me anyway. Um, I just, it, it just sort of retrofied or whatever towards myself that, you know, I'm not the only one out there that's fucking mad. I'm not the only one out there that loves to be pushed and tested. All these other people love that as well. So, you know, it's great to, to, to know your tribe, if you like. You must be incredibly proud of, of what you've achieved in such a short time, Ger, and how you've changed the direction of your family and of your family history for future generations. Yeah, that's the most important thing to me because that that's a big thing for me is to inspire my own family first before I inspire anyone else. But as I said, you have to inspire yourself first to be able to inspire the others, you know. So start with yourself but it's very, very important for me to continue that on. You know, look, no one's perfect. And I don't know which way my kids are going to grow up. No one knows that. I can't say that. But I know one thing for sure. They're going to see me go down the right road. They're going to see me set standards and set goals and smash dreams. And they're going to know that vocabulary in my house. They're going to know that their father has done this. And, and hopefully then, someday, they'll have the same attitude and the same mindset as I do. Where no excuses. You know, doesn't matter where you're from. You want something... In this life, you got to work hard for it. And that's the bottom line. You have to work hard. Nothing comes easy in this life. And, and you talk as well, Ger, about going into schools and prisons and, and doing some work. And you're also a, a coach, like a triathlon coach, a running coach. So talk to us a little bit yeah. about your giving back to the community, because that seems to be a huge part of the focus as well. But it's not just your family. It's actually helping other young people to go down the right road. Yeah, so I go into the schools and youth centres. And as I said to you earlier, I entered into Entrepreneur Island. I had to do a Zoom call and I had to pitch my idea. And my idea was I seen a social problem in the community where people are following in the wrong footsteps of their parents. But then they're becoming parents and bringing the same traits to their kids and it's going around circles. So I seen this as an issue and it's an issue I'd like to try and change. I know what I've done and I have a template on how I've done it and how I changed and what I'm doing now to inspire my kids. So I'm going to use the same template and do some sort of workshops and go back into the communities and trying to change. There's something so beautiful and powerful about changing a generation. Can you imagine changing a generation, right? And then in years to come, someone becomes something magnificent like a professional athlete or going to the Olympics or even just like a, you know, an engineer or anything. You just don't know who like who's like you're saving. I've seen up there in, in the deprived areas in Kulak and Kilmore and other places. And some generations have died because the generation of that parents have not changed. If I can change one generation, job done. And I intend to do that. I really do. At the minute, like I'm coaching, I'm coaching a lot of people from Kulak who are, are in bad situations at the minute and are now taking the training because I'm doing it. They're following my footsteps. And for me to be able to say that and do that for them, just being inspired to them, like I'm so proud of that myself. Do you know what I mean? It's really a nice thing. Like, and I, I know it, and they talk to me openly about their problems. I'm not just a coach, like like that. I just give them a program. I'm also working with them, helping them, and you know, talking about the problems and giving them little tips and how I get out and what I've done. And you know, that's very important to me. So, my coaching actually, the coaching website is ProCoaching.ie. So, anyone looking to <laughs> hit me up, I don't just train people. Like, I, I, I sort of give a little bit extra in the mental side as well. You know. So it's not just um, the program, 
I'd like to work with people and try and work their mindsets and, you know, work with them on, on whatever, whatever their, their problems are. Let's have a chat. You talked there about being an inspiration to some of the people that you're coaching and, and how they've they've come so far on, on the journey with you or and that you've brought them along on a journey. But who inspires you? You know what? Uh, up until a while ago, I hadn't got many inspirations because I sort of was my own inspiration. And I found it hard to find inspiration in other people. But, you know, um, I got this guy, Kobe Brandt, you know, died in a, plane crash, or a helicopter crash a while back. And I listened to some of his YouTube stuff and I can resonate with him. This guy was a basketball player for, um, with the same club for 20 years. He used to go up at three and four in the morning like myself so he could train three or four times a day. And just his attitude, his total attitude to change and, and working on his weaknesses is exactly what I do myself. So I sort of clicked with him and his stuff. So I follow him. I bought a Lakers jersey with his number and I'm going to put it in my paint shed, you know. And he's a basketballer, but it's not about that. It's about his attitude towards things and how he dealt with all stuff and, you know, with things he was he was weak at that he walked on. And I just think that's, that's the type of person I look up to. It's the type of person who's willing to walk on things. I mean, I look at the likes of Brian, Brian McChrystal and Chris Minton and, you know, these guys are really good and they're at the sport years and I'm only doing this 2017. Like, if I don't try or I don't push myself as hard as I can, I'll never be at their level. But it's not to say I can't be at their level. Only me. So I've got to believe in it. Okay, we don't know if that's going to happen. But it certainly isn't going to happen if I have a negative spin on it. So you've got to stay positive and say, I'm going to do that. And I will. I know who I am. I'll push hard. I'll push hard. I'll train hard. I don't miss sessions, John. Never. No matter <laughs> what. I'll train, I'll train when I have the flu. I train everything. I, I never miss a session. I don't care. Before we came on air with the show, I had said to Jer that it was raining outside and I didn't want to go running. So there's definitely two digs gone back at me to get my arse outside. There's no excuse now I'm going to have to go and do a run this evening. Um, Jer, like we've obviously been, and it's funny to use the word lockdown with you because, uh, you know, obviously you were, you were in prison, but we've been in lockdown in the country for a while. I've seen your most recent video there about some of your training and getting up early. And I've, I've been following some of the stuff you're doing on, on Instagram, lots of training going on and things like that. But when we get back to racing, what's the plan for for Ger Redmond, the professional triathlete, once we get back out to to being able to cross that finish line again? I have uh, the Hardman book. Talent has kindly invited me down to do the Hardman on the twenty fifth of July, which is a really good race. I love it. He's offering a he's offering a thousand euro for the first man and woman to break the course record. You want to get his money? You want to send the money up now? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it off early. <laughs> uh, but that's my that's actually my next goal is a sub nine. I suppose my ultimate goal in triathlon at the minute is a sub one Ironman swim, sub four thirty bike, and a sub three run. They're my goals. And then when I hit them, I'll set new goals. But at the minute they're my new goals. Train. I have a one on one coach with Alan Horner for a swim coach. Uh, hope hope as you know, Gavin and Anna they coach me. Um, wonderful people. Plus Anna gives me tips on how to be a good coach as well, which is you know really nice for them to do because they're in the same industry as me. But yeah. They've no problem giving me tips, which is really nice. It's it's a nice feeling when someone does that, you know. They've no uh, resentment towards that, like. So they're they're top crew, like. Um. Well, yes, that's that's my next goal, like, is to do a sub nine, definitely. That's gonna happen. And if there was one race in the world that you could do, whether win it or just do it, what would it be? Ah, uh, look, everyone says Kona, don't they? Look, I will go to Kona anyway, eventually. Like, probably not. Definitely, more likely not as a pro. But <laughs> like, to be honest, my plan is to be a pro for the next few years. I'm in a good position where I have a good sponsor, Alan, Hart, Alan Hardy uh, from Hardy Partnership. He sponsors me. So I'm in a good position at the minute to be able to, you know, rock on as a pro financially. 
Um, but in about two or three years, I'm going to drop back to be an age grouper and I'm going to go to Kona. Like, that's 100% I'm going to do that. Like, so I'll, I'll do that and then see where we go from there. But yeah, I'd love to go to Kona as well. It's everyone's dream, isn't it? If there was one thing that you would say to people who maybe in the doldrums after being in lockdown for the last while or maybe not, maybe have lost a bit of focus uh, over the past couple of months because they can't train or they can't race or maybe the goalposts have shifted and they just don't know how to get the goalposts back to where they wanted them to be for this year. What advice would you give them? Just set small goals, you know, try and get out, try and and overcome that negative talk because what's happening to a lot of people now that are in lockdown, the negativity, the negative thought, that little devil on the shoulder has has won you over. You wanting to get out and that's saying don't go out. It, it's already after winning you. You need to get back out. You need to get uncomfortable again. You need to get out in the rain, Joanne. Today. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it stopped, it stopped raining now. Oh, I'm going to go. Now, go. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. go. Although I did wash well, my listen. hair today, Jerry. So, I mean, God, have I to go wash it again if I go running? <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> this is the thing, like, you just got to overcome that negative mindset because it'll always get into the safety zone. It'll always tell you, oh, it's raining. Oh, fuck that. You know, stay inside. The heating's on. You have to overcome that. You have to... That's the number one. I mean, get out and just enjoy it. Set yourself small goals like 30 minute run, right? Because when it becomes a 60 minute run, then it becomes, ah, uh, right? So what I do is I fill the mind. So if I have a four hour bike, I'm in bed, right? Now this doesn't happen to me anymore because the mind doesn't even want to come near me anymore. It just tells me, yeah, he's doing it. That negative fella is, is hugging the, the positive fella. <laughs> They're mates now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's not even there anymore. He's too positive now. <laughs> but um, the thing is, it's the field of mindset. Right? So if you have a three-hour boy to do, right? Instead of you sitting in bed going, three hours, oh, reduce it in half and say, right, let's make a deal here with the negative and the positive call, right? Right, we do an hour and a half. Right, grand, we do an hour and a half. When you're out there doing your hour and a half, when the hour and a half is done, then you tackle the other hour and a half. You know what I mean? So just break it down to where you're convincing the mind that you are only actually doing the hour and a half. But realistically, when you get out and you wake up and you take your caffeine drink or whatever it may be, then the sun might come up and all of a sudden you're doing your three hours. That's what I do. That's what I used to do. Now, as I said, positive mindset, uh, the negative is gone. He, he doesn't even come near me anymore. He's probably <laughs> He's afraid of you. <laughs> He's locked up. He's locked up. <laughs> oh, Jerry, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's in Mount Joy. God bless us. Thank you so much for joining me today. Such an insightful conversation with you, and I really appreciate your time. And I wish you the very best of luck. And I have no doubt you will get to Kona at some point, either as a pro or an age grouper. But just keep doing what you're doing and keep inspiring and keep the positive side out. And, and well done. And thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks very much for having me, Jamal. Really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. That's try with an I, not a Y. Connect with me on social media across Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by, say hi, let me know what you think of the show. If you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be both impressed and inspired by our guests. Until next time, wash your hands, stay safe, and thanks for tuning in.